What's up, everybody? It's Miles Turner, the Indiana Pacers. You're listening to the Pacers Podcast. Be sure to follow at Pacers on Twitter. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Pacers Podcast, the only Australian NBA podcast with a bias toward the Indiana Pacers, who saw what we say down under is a bit of aggro in this game against the Utah Jazz. The Pacers came away with victory, 111 to 100. Uh, a game that going into it, we called a schedule loss on last week's episode of this show. Uh, but for some reason, they came through with the goods and uh, they did that despite Miles Turner being ejected for having a hugging match with Rudy Gobert in the fourth <laughs> quarter. Um, it just so happens that off the back of that hugging match, uh, Donovan Mitchell and Joe Ingles both got ejected as well as Rudy Gobert. So Utah were very shorthanded. They were still down double digits, double digits when that happened, but uh, it certainly helped down the stretch that they were missing three of their best six players. Uh, Alex, I'm going to start with you. Uh, the fight it wasn't really a fight, was it? It's just a kind of a scuffle. Two men in, hugging. In quotation, like, in quotation yeah. marks. Just like you know, the, you know, good the on first, them for showing their yeah. love to each other, but yeah, it was nothing, was it? The first thought I had was, and, and for all our Aussie listeners, this one's for you: is that we need to teach them how to jersey punch or jumper punch. You know, in the AFL, they they be doing that all the yep. time. So that was my first thought. NBA players don't know how to fight. I mean, like Jokic and Morris was probably just a, a rougher version of what Miles and Gobert did. But yeah, that was just two best friends hugging it out, mate. It was just all love from those two. So uh, <laughs> it was, it was, uh, it was the classic Jalen Rose hold me back fight. Like both players were like, hold me back, hold me back. I think I don't Donovan Mitchell was probably the, Donovan Mitchell was the most angry out of anyone. Like, I, I don't know what he, he was really angry. Yeah. I don't know if you guys really saw upset. That, yeah. Touched a referee, which, you know, he's going to get you ejected 99 times out of 100. Unfortunately, I know that uh, Utah were a little bit confused as to why he got ejected, but it's kind of unequivocal that he touched a referee. Like, Justin, it's it's not something the referees are ever going to tolerate. And the three of us know why, because uh, there was a documentary about it earlier in the year, Malice in the Palace. Referees do not want games to descend into chaos. No, they don't. And uh, yeah, as a Pacer fan, I, I don't like when Pacers get into any scuffle because it no. brings back some, some real bad memories and uh, kind of hold my breath there for a second. Even like you two mentioned, the fight was nothing. Um, I was going to mention it was like, hold me back, hold me back as well. So, um, but yeah, yeah. Jesus, the Pacer fan, if you've lived through the the era with Ron Artest and Jermaine O'Neal, you, you go, you're always a bit worried what can what can escalate really quickly. So all the assistant coaches did a good job of wrapping Miles up. And, um, you know, Ru- Gobert made a bit of a dirty play. Like, he, he pulled yep. Miles Turner down. Um, so I don't begrudge Turner in going at him. Like, obviously, it was pretty weak, the fight. But um, I'm glad Miles didn't get himself suspended um, but he stood up for himself, which I'd love to see. You know, people have criticised Miles for being too soft in the past for too long, and I know this doesn't mean he's, um, you know, hardcore or any any tougher than he was yesterday, but um, good on him for standing up to himself. And I reckon there's a bit of, bit of rival that, rivalry there about the Defensive Player of the Year. I reckon if that was yep. uh, anyone else, that wouldn't have happened, but I reckon Miles is a bit salty. Rudy's got a few DPOY trophies. What do you think? Look, let's let's be really clear. Gobert, ha- Gobert has smoked Turner in previous meetings between these two teams. And unfortunately, we spoke about it last year on games where Miles played Embiid, Gobert, 
you know, big centers, he, he has struggled in the past to contain those guys. He struggled to defend them. And it's been probably the one sort of black mark on his defensive career that he hasn't been able to contain big men that can match him in stature. And, you know, this was the first time that I'd really seen him go out a guy that he would consider to be a peer because, you know, most of the time, uh, he unfortunately comes up a little short against those guys. So he clearly went in wanting to make a statement against Rudy Gobert. He did that. He blocked his shot twice. Um, and that second block led to the scuffle. But, you know, he got the W at the end of the day. You know, their numbers were very similar. Um, I think the uh, the one thing that I'll say is to your point, you know, Justin, this this is the kind of fire, you know, that we we want to see really i mean look it's, it's not appropriate to get ejected but um the care the fire the you know the desire the you know aggro as i said at the start of the show like alex this is kind of what we want to see from from the paces we want to see them take pride in winning and this season they haven't won a lot so we need them to do that 100 percent. you want to see people compete man at the end of the day that's the biggest thing that's one of the reasons I love TJ McConnell more than most players on the roster because it doesn't matter what the night is, doesn't matter what the game is, he's going to go at 100% every single game. So I love seeing the fight from Miles. Uh, obviously, the win helps. If it came in a loss, it wouldn't be as nice. But uh, <laughs> yeah, to have those bragging rights for, for this time. And to preface it, this dates back to, I remember before the World Cup yeah. in 2019, Miles made those comments about Gobert. So I think this one has been brewing for a while. Yeah, it has. I think um, it's finally come to a head. I want to see them go at each other every time we play Utah from now on. I want to see a rivalry there. That's the sort of standard that Miles needs to maintain, though. That that intensity has been something that he's had this season. And I think, you know, it's it's been great to see him match his words with his actions sometimes this season like he's he always talks like he's a leader of this team and you know verbally he has been and in his actions off the court it's the thing that's probably been missing is you know his actions on the court consistently his rebounding consistently you know his scoring consistently over the last season but you know he's he's arguably having a better season than Demata Sabonis right now and I don't think anyone would have predicted that at the start of the season. Like despite a few random Twitter accounts, everyone is uh, in agreement that Miles Turner is having a career year. He's fantastic to watch. And, you know, TJ Leaf couldn't have done this, Justin. No, no, definitely not. And I mean, you could make the argument, there'd be an argument Miles Turner has been the best pacer this year. If you look at games played, um, you know, kind of, I'm looking at him plus minus, but the defense he brings and, you know, he's been sat out a lot of uh, fourth quarters, but yeah, Domas has struggled. I've said that the last few weeks, even if Domas puts up decent stats, like he did against Denver, put up amazing stats, but I don't know, kind of if you, if you just watch the games and you don't even look at the box score, he's not having the same impact as he once was, um, which is probably a good thing because other paces need to step up. Last year, we were way too reliant on Sabonis. Like, you know, he was getting a, 30, 15, 10 games, but it's like, well, we'd lose because yep. no one else would play good. So I like what Carlisle's doing, but yeah, Sabonis, I don't know, he doesn't seem himself. I don't know if something's happening. Um, Obviously, Levert's injured again, which is uh, fantastic. <laughs> I say that jokingly, of course. Um, 
But yeah, I mean, I, I thought I should uh, hand in my resignation to the podcast because last episode I said, um, there is no way we lose to Denver. That would be an embarrassing loss. And there is no way we beat Utah. So I probably got to hand my keys in because I just got it flip-flopped wrong, didn't I? Yeah. Uh, it will, Well, there's no way that we should have lost to Denver. I mean, the, the great irony of this win is that it was coming off our worst loss of the season and you can say altitude all you want but you know Denver didn't have their best three players and we didn't have you know two of our starters but that's it I mean you know we the balance of talent was with the paces and Alex we we came up short we came up terribly short we looked really bad in different parts of that game and you know, Chris Duarte is showing signs of being a rookie right now. Like the honeymoon is starting to end a little bit. That's not to say that he won't pick it back up again. He, he hit a three at the end of the game today that was good to see, but he was front rimming a lot of shots. He's clearly fatigued. He's played a lot of minutes for a, for a guy that's in his first NBA, you know, month or six weeks. But, you know, it's, it's kind of catching up with him. Yeah, it was it was funny when Bally Sports the broadcast cut to him when he was sitting on the bench. I think it was like during the second half of that Nuggets game, and he literally looked like he was about to pass out. Yeah, you could tell that. Uh, we kind of joked about it the other day, but you could tell the altitude was hitting him uh, harder than most players. And you know, in college they don't play back to back games, so I think that's important. And this was his first like big road trip as well. So, you know, he's a rookie. He's going to go through ups and downs as all rookies do. Um, but, but look, I think for him, it's just the way he bounces back. Like he's a really confident player, right? I think he relies yep. a lot on his confidence, almost have to be a goldfish in the NBA. Don't you, you know, when you miss a couple of shots, doesn't matter. Take the next one. Like it's your first shot. So yeah, I, I think the fact that he is that confident will help him a lot going forward because I just don't think these misses will, will have as many, uh, well, they won't have as much weight on his, uh, conscience. I don't think. Well, the fact that he took and made that three at the end of the game today after being 0 for 3, and to that point, I think he was 4 for 13. So, you know, he finished 5 for 14. That was his last shot of the game. And, you know, it just showed me that the kids got confidence regardless. And that's the the type of play you want to see. But it also emphasized that the the hidden toll of these injuries is not just on wins and losses, but a guy like Duarte was not expecting to play this many minutes this often and he's not going to say no but he's not physically prepared for this sort of load and Justin this is I guess yet another symptom or yet another thing that that occurs when you have a lot of injuries particularly to your wings and Karis LeVert out once again yeah I don't I hope LeVert's okay because we, we can't keep having this like snip snap snip snap like in and out the lineup in and out the lineup Alex laughing because he gets a reference there um but yeah I mean good news TJ Warren is hopefully on the men's and coming back within a month or two so uh because then you'd say Duarte is gonna roll back into that bench unit and that's when the Pacers can hopefully pick up some wins because then we've got some bench scoring I've watched a lot of Miami games this season and um, you know, Tyler Hero outplays Duncan Robinson, but they bring Tyler Hero off the bench for that shooting punch. He's averaging 21 points a game. So that's what I don't obviously foresee Duarte being that good, but that's what good teams do. They have that scoring punch off the bench. Um, and yeah, like, again, we <laughs> mentioned Alex messaged us today. Lance Stevenson's stats in his first game back, 20, what is it, 27 points, like nine rebounds, three assists, something like that. Um, man, 
What can I say more, guys? I don't know why he's not on this roster. Yeah, it's like uh, like a single guy who sees his ex girlfriend mm-hmm. uh, and and wishes <laughs> that uh, that he was still with her. Like it, it, Lance is just kind of lurking in the G League, and he's he's exactly what this team needs. Oh, and, you know, I, people will laugh. Mark Boyle has, has commented that it, he's kind of incredulous to what the love affair with Lance is and this team, but. The thing about Lance is that his entertainment, his effort, his confidence, you know, he he wants to get his teammates involved. He wants to celebrate his teammates' success. He wants to celebrate his own success. And, like, we don't have that right now, um, you know. And, you know, maybe he's a poor fit next to Brogdon, for example, who is so stoic and... You know, it was brilliant today. I think we have to mention how good Malcolm Brogdon was against the Jazz, 30 points um, on 23 shots. So he was carrying the offensive load. Basically, every time a play broke down, he was responsible for taking the shot. Um, he was tired toward the end of the game as well. Uh, and and he and TJ McConnell, uh, with a cameo from Keelan Martin, really carried the perimeter offense today. And so... Like when you when you talk about those three names, uh, Brogdon, McConnell, Keelan Martin, they're not the players that you expect to carry your offense on the perimeter. I mean, you know, Jeremy Lamb, uh, despite having a couple of good games to start the season, has not been great. Um, Tory Craig has, you know, despite starting the season well, has not been great. Uh, Lance would add something to this bench, and they need scoring punch right now. And at the moment, it's really inconsistent where they get it from. It was Keelan Martin tonight. It's going to have to be someone uh, in the next game. But Alex, it's it's kind of glaring how poor we are in terms of scoring depth on the wing. Yeah, the wing depth killed us in Denver. I mean, we got zero production from them whatsoever in that game. And uh, I think for me, the biggest X factor of this season has been Justin Holiday. Like he he's been so on and off. One game he'll go four from five from three. The next he'll go one from nine, and you know that has hurt us a bunch this season so far. So, uh, yeah, look, uh, I mean Lance is not the uh, consistent player either, so I probably shouldn't use that as a as a comparison. But yeah, look, Lance would bring that assignment off the bench, and I always say like him and TJ McConnell would be must watch TV every single night, regardless of if you think they're good or bad. Like they would be must watch. Yeah. And you know, you look. You also look at the guys that aren't getting minutes. Like, where's O'Shea? Where's he been? Like, it's um, O'Shea had an amazing game toward the start of the season, and, and Rick Carlisle was very quick to say that he should have been playing O'Shea more. Now he's not playing O'Shea anymore. So, I I do wonder where this sort of hot and cold bench production or, or bench rotation comes from. You know, I, I just don't know how you play Jeremy, Jeremy Lamb nearly 10 minutes and you don't play O'Shea any. Um, I totally get playing Goga six minutes, you know, to spell both Miles and Domas. I get going with a hot hand in terms of Keelan Martin. He can, you know, turn it on. He hit a couple of big shots today and he got a tech foul at some point. Um, so he's showing a bit of fire as well, which is not a bad thing. You love to see that from your young players, but... I do wonder where O'Shea Brissett is in this rotation. I mean, Justin, he 
he does fill a need in terms of your backup four and Justin Holiday and Tory Craig are also playing that role. So he's kind of been squeezed out of the rotation, but it kind of feels like we can do some cool things when he is out there. So I do wonder what the future is for that, um, you know, backup small forward slash small power forward, because kind of appears like we've got three guys fighting for maybe one spot right now when the team's fully healthy. The NHL season is underway and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, has an unbelievable offer to celebrate the greatest sport on ice. New customers can bet just $1 on any NHL game and win $100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. Doesn't matter if it's a one-time clapper or a deft deflection, however they light the lamp, you win. If Sportsbook isn't available in your state yet, DraftKings won't leave you empty-handed. Everyone can play for huge cash prizes all season long with DraftKings Daily Fantasy Sports Contests. DraftKings is giving all new customers a free shot at millions of dollars in total prizes with their first deposit. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now, use the promo code TBPN, throw down $1 on any NHL game, and win 100 in free bets if either team scores a goal. This week, one puck in the nets nets you a big win with promo code TBPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. Must be 21 or older, New Jersey, Indiana, or Pennsylvania only. New customers only. Minimum $5 deposit and $1 wager required. One per customer. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com slash sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Yeah, for sure. And kind of like the same big man rotation with Goga. You know, what are, what are we seeing with Goga, you know? Yep. Today, he played yep. He played solid minutes, so he obviously fouled a lot, but that's okay. Um yeah, it's tough that that bench. You know, I, I think the next five. Well, I said the other week, the next five or ten games are gonna probably sum up the pace of season. I think. I think. Yep. If the, if they go, if they're at ten and ten, okay, we've got through the tough stretch, as they said. We started this season with such a tough stretch. If they can go ten and ten with all these injuries, I think they'd classify it as a win. Um. So what are they now? They're five and eight. Uh, we've got a few winnable games coming up. You know, 76ers without Embiid, that should be a win. Uh, yep. Knicks will be tough. Then the Pistons should win. Uh, Hornets should win. Pelicans should win. So that's what I'm saying. The next five or so games, if you can split and go 10 and 10, okay, we can reset this season. And then you go, oh, you know, TJ Warren's due back in three or four weeks. Now let's try and kickstart and make a playoff run. I know it's early in the season, but that's the way they should be thinking. And um, very rare for me to be positive in the Pacers' outlook. But the season's not doom and gloom. Look, after Denver, it was pretty hard to mount a case for them to make a playoff. That was a dreadful game. That was the worst game I've watched Pacers in over three years. Oh, that, that was that was so bad to me. It was like 65 points at three-quarter time. The whole game, I knew they were going to lose. Like, I'm not just honestly just saying that now because they lost. I was in-depth on that game, trust me, and I knew they were going to lose. So, um, yeah, let, let's just hope they can win the next few, go 10 and 10. That's my aim. And then we reset a bit, don't you think, Adam? Yeah, 100%. I think if we can get to 500 again, then that is a great result given how poorly we've played because, mm. you know, I think, we've all been critical of, of the play. I don't think the team is happy with how it's gone. Um, even in close losses, like the, the close losses are somehow the most frustrating because we play poorly and still only lose by one, two, three points. And that's probably more frustrating than getting blown out because at least when you're blown out, you never had a chance to begin with these close losses uh, are 
to teams that we should be beating. So if we can turn it around, let's let's go, you know, the next next five games, we've got, as you say, Philly could be a win given how shorthanded they are. Knicks could go either way. Detroit, Charlotte, and New Orleans. Um, you'd be looking to go four and one over the next five games, and that would get you nine and nine. So if you if you can get four and one, you get back to five hundred, and then you've got some tougher games against Chicago, the Lakers. Uh, you face Toronto, so there should be in a season-ending inju- injury in that game somewhere along the line because there always is against Toronto, and uh, and then Milwaukee. So you got a tougher stretch. So you've got to take full advantage of the next five games because it is the easiest stretch of games that you're going to have until, oh, I'm looking down this schedule, December. Look at December. Uh, You've got Atlanta, Miami, Washington, who is like second in the East right now, uh, at Madison Square, uh, at New York, uh, Dallas, Golden State. So you're not really facing that many poor teams over the next month beyond the next five games. So you have to consolidate and get back to 500 so that, you know, when you do play face those good games, those good teams, you can do what you did today and steal one, but we can't realistically think that they're going to go 500 against the likes of Golden State, Atlanta, Milwaukee, the Lakers and Miami, Justin. No, no, they won't. Uh, too much star power, which we don't have, uh, unfortunately. Yeah, I just want to – that's why I'm so big on Lance Stevenson, as you guys know, because I really just want to get back to enjoying Pacers basketball. Bit of a struggle to watch again, in my opinion. Um, not much exciting things happen. Like, I feel like any time the game's close, the Pacers are going to lose. Um, we really – like, Oladipo showed signs of being that clutch player. Like, he, he hit some big shots. But since then, you know, we – I tweeted the other, we really haven't had anyone since Reggie. Like I watch a lot of basketball and the teams have these go-to players. They take over in the clutch, even hate to admit it, you know, Paul George did it for the Clippers today. And, um, you know, the best player in each team does it. Who is our go-to guy? No, you know, Brogdon some games or Sabonis missed a game winner against Charlotte. Like we got, we got no one who's clutch and I sit. And when it's, you know, a draw or we're down two with 15 seconds left, Alex, I get the popcorn ready to laugh at what play is going to happen because you ain't, you know, the ball ain't going in. I mean, we ran a game winner for Duarte, so yeah. <laughs> that shows you that shows, shows you how we're right we now. Are. Oh um, my god! Yeah, I um, I was drawn to a tweet. I'm just trying to find it from James Boyd, the uh, the new beat writer for Indie Star, and he put up a stat around the health of starters. I don't know whether you saw the tweet, but um, so over the last two seasons, the Pacers have played 85 games. How many games, Justin, have they had all five of their projected starters? And this is with Oladipo potentially on the court as well. I, I mean, I do not know. I have not seen it. I don't know. I guess four five. out of the 85 games, they have had all five starters. In those four games, they've gone three and one. Um, but- in, to break it down, uh, 85 games, uh, 18 games, they had four starters. 40 games, they had three starters. 21 games, two starters. And three games with just one starter. So 85 games, half of those games, more than half of those games, they've had either uh, three or less starters take the floor. And that says it all. Yeah, I mean, Alex, that's not all bad luck. That's paces need to do something, don't you think? Hmm. 
Well, I mean, they've built a roster of uh, injury-prone players. So, I mean, we've talked about when this team's healthy, but when you go for that, like, cheaper route, I say, like, lightly, it's not really cheap, but when you go for players who are known for injuries, like we did with Warren, Brogdon, and Levert, that's that's the trade-off. They're, they're going to be uh, they're going to be out most of the time, I think. And you even look at, you know, the, the only big potential acquisition that was going to occur or possibly going to occur over the last few years was Gordon Haywood. Who you know, is is Same also thing. an injury, injury prone, prone yeah. player. So durability has been non-existent for the players that have been targeted by Indiana over the last three, four seasons. And that's just a it's just a fact of who they've gone for. And I think as you say, that they've gone for bargains, they've gone for players that they project can play um, well over what they are paid well over what they will cost in terms of a trade. And in many ways, when those players have been on the floor, they have. The issue is they haven't been on the floor. Like that's the the big problem here. So at what point do you have to rethink that strategy now and into the future to say, well, you know, do we just want guys who are going to play 80, 82 games, even if they're slightly less productive at the very least we'll have our first choice players. So, you know, but at the same time, then you, you still maintain your place on the treadmill of, of mediocrity. So the, yeah, it's, it's an impossible question that I'm very glad I don't have to answer. Kevin Pritchard does have to answer it. And Alex, I really beyond just just staying the course and seeing how this season goes, which I feel like we were talking about last season after the, the Oladipo trade, I don't really know what the move is at the moment because the player that's actually playing probably is the most out of sorts in the starting lineup is, is Domas. Yeah, that's actually true. Um, And they're not trading Sabonis. Like no, there's exactly. zero chance they're, they're trading Sabonis. So, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's crazy that like Miles Turner's, being our most valuable starter, I would say. Like, maybe I'm biased. Do you guys disagree with that or? No, I, I don't disagree with that at all. I mean, defensively, he's been fantastic. He's put in, aside from those couple of games at the start of the season where the entirety yeah, of the internet yeah. wanted him traded, he's been fantastic. And he's been rebounding. He's been scoring. He's been hitting three-point shots. I mean, this is the most complete Miles Turner that we've ever seen. Um, you match with that, the attitude that he's taken into this season. And, and Justin, it, he's, you know, he's well out producing what he's done in previous seasons. The interesting question I have for you is what's his trade value right now? Mm, well, <laughs> that's a tough one, right? Because we've heard certain things for a few years, you know, Gordon Hayward or PJ Washington and things like that. But um, to be honest with you, I don't know anyone's trade value in the league now. Because <laughs> yeah. I, like you just don't you know, the you trade know. value is what, get, what gets done. Like what's Ben Simmons trade value? Like who yeah. knows? Is it going to be a star? Is it going to be two scrubs and a draft pick? Like, I do not know. Like, I've been so big on keeping Miles because I feel like the return would be crap. Like, I like PJ Washington. I'm sorry, Miles Turner would do so much more for us than PJ Washington would do for us. So, yeah. um, the Gordon Haywood thing, look, that was a bit open, and yeah, Haywood could be a good player. I didn't want him personally, but. That was a bit more fair. I think, yeah, I just think trade value is really hard these days. Until we see some trades going on probably towards the deadline, it's it's really hard to know um, 
what value you're getting back. I don't even know what would get back for Sabonis if we were to trade him. Very, like, very you know, you're trading a two-time, say. yeah, two-time all-star. Who are we getting back? Well, the the question with Sabonis becomes: Who would want a player like that? Who would be happy to? have a back-to-the-basket old-school inside player. And there are only a few teams that I can probably point to and say that their coaches and their systems would want a guy like that. San Antonio is is a clear, you know, potential option for, you know, Greg Popovich appreciates um, fundamentals and Domas has arguably one of some of the best fundamentals in the entire league. Um, the issue then becomes who do you get back for him? I mean... You look at, you know, teams in turmoil. There aren't many teams in turmoil right now. Boston is one of them. So, you know, do you look at two starters and picks and try and get Jalen Brown, try and prize Jalen Brown from them? I would love um, that. Like and that, that, that would be a win-win. Yeah. I, I mean, you, you, have to, you have to probably try and get a little bit creative and you kind of hope that things get dire enough for Boston that – they, you know, that Jalen Brown asks to be traded to a different team. And um, then then the door opens. Maybe they want Domas because they don't have a true big man right now, um, but probably not given the way they play and given the players on their roster. So, you know, the, the thing with Domas is it's such a weird, interesting fit because he doesn't play fantastic defense. Although he's played some... He's had some really good defensive highlights over the last few games. He had that block a couple of games ago that was that was quite good. But um, I, I just don't know what the market is for a guy that plays in a way that the league doesn't really play anymore, Alex. It's kind of... you. The reason the team won't trade him is because they probably won't get fair value back for him because he is so different. Yeah, and also you have to understand that Indiana... They don't. They're not going to trade an all star unless they have to, right? Yeah. Like they had to trade Paul George. They had to trade Oladipo. They're not going to trade an all star who's got years left on his contract unless they absolutely have to. So, I think that's the most important thing. And I, I asked this question, by the way. I, I asked the Miles question because everyone was like, "Okay, well, he's the most obvious start of the trade, right? Like it was him and Brogdon. Now you can't trade Brogdon if you're the Pacers. So, you know, who else do we look at? I don't think anyone's going to want Warren. We don't even know how he's going to play, and he's a free agent. So you can basically scratch that off. Levert, does he become available? I, I don't see that happening. So no. yeah, it, it's tough. I, th- I still think Miles is the odd one out in, in that sense, but because of how well he's playing, it makes it so much harder for, for Pritchard in the front office. Well, I mean, do, do teams trade for him based or try and trade for him based on his value a month ago or based on his value today? Because his value today is higher than it was a month ago. So... Mm. You know, it depends if teams talk themselves into this being the real production moving forward for Miles Turner or it being just a really good month. And, you know, it it very well could be a really, you know, just a really good month in his career. Maybe it might be the best month in his career ever when we look back on this. But um, for me, he looks like a different guy. He looks more confident. He's got a bit more of a green light from outside. You know, the defense has always always been there, but the rebounding, he's a bit more tenacious. He's, you know, fighting for rebounds. Like, um, I don't want to trade any of these guys, but um, it, it appears like that's probably what will end up having, happening eventually. So at least, you know, hopefully Miles lands in a situation that, that supports him, but also has high enough trade value that we get something really good back if that's what we chose to do. Um, we put ourselves in a really interesting situation 
with Sabonis being a two-time All-Star. Um, I don't know if you can win a title with Sabonis as even your second best player at this point. Um, so it's hard to say because we haven't seen him in that role. He's been our best player for a couple of seasons. The only time that we've really seen him in that role is when he was our sixth man and, and Victor Oladipo was our best player. So, you know, Justin, what sort of player do you pair with Sabonis um, to, to have an optimal output from him and to give yourself a chance to compete with the big dogs? Well, I think you're right in your first point saying I, I don't even think to win a championship if we're talking that serious that he could be your second best player. Um, you know, you're talking about the paces when they've gone close towards winning it all um, in the Eastern Conference Finals against Miami. You know, there was five great players on the team. Uh, and then you go back to the Reggie days who are obviously superstar on the team. So uh, I, I guess you just need a shooter next to Sabonis. Um, yeah, I... I don't even know. Like I, I just yeah. We talk about this all the time on the podcast. I I just love a all star superstar type player on the team again. Um, yeah, you know, someone for the fan base to be proud of. Like Jesus, you got two or three Australians rocking a Chris Duarte jersey on yeah. the other side of the world. Like man, what what does that tell you? One of them's got a Goga Batate jersey. Like. If anyone from the Pacers are listening, mate, people are giving us weird looks over here. Like, give, give us a player we can wear and people actually go, oh, yeah, I know who he is. He plays for the Pacers now. Yeah, yeah. A bit of uh, a bit of pride, a superstar that we can be proud of would be good. But for now, we've got a really good win against Utah and uh, a game coming up against a shorthanded Philadelphia. But we will come to you after that game. We've been the Pacers. Thanks so much for listening. Thank you.